Did you know that this podcast is a part of the Jayzo Modcast Podcast Network? Chances are, if you enjoy this show, you'll find other great podcasts on the network, too. The Jayzo Modcast Network offers you a choice of shows seven days a week, starting with Monday. Join Rebecca C. Lofgren, Aaron Illick, and David K. Montoya in Seeing Red. The trio dive deep down the rabbit hole each week with a combination of geek and weird news. Then on Tuesdays, join the boys from the Great White North, Mike Lutz, Rob Bellamy, and Jason Beckard in the movie Madhouse as they bring you everything Hollywood and more. On Wednesdays, Reaper Rick's Tree Frog Expose Cafe, where he crosses the line of limits as he gives us news that is unforgettable and personal views that you'll definitely remember as well. Spend Thursdays with Jim Bennett and Nick McKelvey as they join forces in American Fat Ass Podcast to talk about various topics from news, sports, to their personal lives, all the while with a humorous slant in an unapologetic fashion. Fridays, Rob Bellamy is joined with Mike Lutz as they jump in the Wayback Machine to explore the archives of the JZO Modcast to give you three hours of audio entertainment in Flashback Fridays. Saturdays, join JZO Modcast founder David K. Montoya as he explores the world for a single of Who's the Boss? Then Sundays, finish the week with What We Think with hosts S. Sadie Burbank and David K. Montoya as they tell us exactly what they think about pop culture, celebrities, and the world at large with a ton of vulgarity mixed in for good measure. The JZO Modcast Podcast Network. We've got what you want seven days a week for free. Listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher or like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And don't forget to check us out at jazomon.com slash jazomodcast. And now enjoy this free jazomodcast show. Welcome to Seeing Red. Hey, boys and girls, welcome to Scene Red. I'm David K. Montoya. All right, kids. Um, I'm all by myself today. Um, the lovebirds are, well, should I wait? No, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, and then we can probably talk about it more next week. Um, Aaron's younger brothers uh, come down from Las Vegas and they're showing him a good time. He's he's like six or seven. He's just a little baby. So they weren't able to get together with me last week and do recording um, just because they've been really busy with that. Um, well, not that, him. So we we kind of missed, you know, cross paths. And, and uh, you know, I've been working a lot at the hospital these last couple of weeks. So... Uh, just been kind of hard to get together, you know, kind of sequence our schedules on the, on the same path and, and, uh, you know, shit happens sometimes, kids. But I, I'm here, I'm gonna, I've got some things to talk about. I was gonna talk about this on my show on Who's the Boss this week. But since we don't have a show for Seeing Red, I decided, well, I'll sit down and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it here. And if, you are remotely interested in what I say on Who's the Boss. I think I'm going to do a reading this week. Um, one of the things, and this goes right into our first topic, is, you know, a lot of people don't realize that I did stuff other than podcasting for many, many years. Um, I'm a writer, artist, and business entrepreneur. Um, I started my business back when I was 13 years old. Uh, I, I was enthralled with comic books. And, you know, I, I got to the point where I just got tired of waiting monthly. So what I did is I sat, sat down and I started writing really crappy quality comic books. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of 
surpass that that urge to be creative and, and to live in that kind of fantasy world uh you know just in, because when i started i only read one book a month so you know i'd read a, you know read a book and then have to wait until the next month to read the other book so what i did is i i started writing my own stories and i started doing my artwork now i've always liked artwork um i've always been a fan of art ever since i was a little boy and uh so i i you know put the two together and and made some you know horribly made comic books i guess they were decent for a 13 year old but whatever so as time passed i i got tired of writing um you know other stories for the comic books because at that point uh you know i was reading shit you know at least two new comics a week so i was getting my fix there but i i decided to start making my own stories with my own characters and um i decided to make them myself actually make them and what i would do is i would sit and write the story and a good friend of mine sm morton while she isn't my friend if anybody knows me knows that sm morton is my aunt um and she encouraged me to write and i wrote the story she did the editing and then she gave it back to me after the editing and i i drew it up and at the time my my brother randy lofgren he would help me do some you know finishing inks on the artwork and and then we would go and we'd take it and we would make copies we'd make 11 by 17 copies and we'd put two on the front two on the back then we'd staple it in the middle and then we'd cut it we actually physically hand cut the book down to size and we were selling them for like a dollar 25 a comic book and that's how my business started um and over the years, especially in the last 10 years, that has kind of been the, the forefront of my purpose is, you know, I, I kind of fell away from writing. I mean, I've always written, but, you know, being known as a writer has almost vanished from the public eye because for, you know, the majority of 10 years of the 20-something year history, 21-year 21 history of this company, um, I was known as the CEO, you know, I was the one that made all the business decisions and, you know, I ran the business. Well, as of 2012, you know, the same time or around the same time, uh, Jaisalmon Productions came into existence. I just, I really felt like I needed to get back to being a writer and that was the original concept of Jaisalmon Productions. Before the podcast, there was Jaisalmon Publications. And, and what I was going to do is I'd go and I'd put some stories up there for free for people to read and, and just kind of share my, my writing ability with the general public uh, just to enjoy. Well, as that went on, and then I went into podcasting. You know, podcasting really became my passion for a long long time almost two years and i i went away from everything i i you know well other than let me back up because i'm getting ahead of myself i've always continued to write you know i wrote the yoke gnome script which we're still trying to sell um you know and i've written bits and pieces here and there but for the majority of that time i just podcast this and that's all i needed to do to get my creative fix was the podcast well um let's jump further back back in 2010 i had started working on well actually i finished the book in 2010 um it was 13 short stories one poem and i was going to publish it and it kept getting pushed back pushed back pushed back for publication and just recently um, I was going through and, and found the files and I was like, holy shit, you know, I, I never published this book. So I went and I kind of merged both companies to, to help push this endeavor along. It's a joint production. It's a Jaisal Mon Publications and a Mythwork Publication. And as of May 30th, the book came out and it's called It's a Dark Ride. Now, like I said, It's a Dark Ride is uh, 13 short stories and one poem. 
and there's some stuff in there that had been written for the World of Myth magazine. Um, the World of Myth magazine was a magazine that I owned and, and operated for a very long time, and it was a literary magazine, and that's kind of where I, I, I wet my appetite for, or not wet it, but more curbed my appetite for writing, because whatever I wanted to write, I just write it and put it up on the magazine, and, and you know, I put it out there for everybody to, to enjoy. Um, so if, if you're a fan that comes from the world of myth, you, then you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, there is some stuff in the book from the world of myth, but there is quite a bit of new material. Um, not going too far into my own personal life, you know, 2010 was not a great year for me. Um, I... I worked at this hospital. Now, if you should know by now, I mean, this is episode 76. Um, you know, I, I work as an EKG monitor technician. Uh, that's my one of my daytime, well, it's, it's a nighttime weekend job. Um, and I, I did that. I've been doing this for, what, 11 years, I think now, at least 11 years. Uh, yeah, 11 years. Anyway, I worked at this hospital. I worked there for eight years. I loved it. Um, people there didn't seem like employees, they seemed like family, and, and I, I just, you know, it was one of those jobs that you got up and went to and you enjoyed it, every single moment of it, because you were around the people you enjoyed. Well, I had lost my job after eight years, and for a very brief moment in my life, um, I, everything just kind of crashed around me. You know, I, I lost my house, I lost my vehicles, I lost everything. I didn't, we sucked up my, my uh, savings and, and uh, you know, we went into a very dark place. That was one of the reasons why I sold Dark Myth Productions and Studios back then, is just to survive, because I didn't have no money. Um, and, and during this time, I was creating a lot of dark stuff, and... As I was, I was putting it together with the, the with the intention of having it published um, as a writer, and that's how the stories, the new stories, came about. Because there, you're going to get into some stories that are pretty dark, and then there's some that's actually kind of lighthearted, and there's actually one that's funny. Um, and then there's some stuff, like I said, that you'll read, and it's from the world of myth, and it's you know, it's it's what it's supposed to be. It's you know, neither it's dark fantasy or dark humor or horror. Um, and the book's name is called It's a Dark Ride. Now, It's a Dark Ride, like I said, came out May 30th. Um, as of right now, to my knowledge, you can pick up a copy at Mythworks. Um, not Mythworks, I'm sorry. Mythmart, um, which is, you know, our sister company to the Jaiselmon. Um, you can go to www.mythworks, W-M-Y-T-H. Let's see, that's not right. <laughs> I'm sorry, kids. Let me try that again. www.mythworks.com slash mythmart, M-Y-T-H-M-A-R-T. And you can pick up a copy there. And that's where I want to send everybody because I get that's where I get my biggest cut. Um, you know, I won't beat around the bush with you guys. This that's just truth. I make more money through MythWorks than I do the other place. And the other place is Amazon.com. And you can go to Amazon.com and type in David K. Montoya, it's a dark ride, and you can get it there. And um you know, show me some love, because this was a labor of love. This is this is me showing a lot of my internal pain during that time, and um, you know, kind of translating it into fictional stories. There's stories that have a well. There's one story in particular called "Call of the Blackbird," very Edgar Allan Poe-ish. 
um, kind of owed to him. Then one of my favorite stories that I've ever written is uh, a tribute to Ray Bradbury, and it's uh, The Last Supper. That's that's kind of a thriller, dark thriller. Um, and then, like I said, the comedy, which was in the world of myth, it's called Hell of a Time, and it's about a drug, uh, yeah, drug lord, a Colombian drug lord, and what happens when he goes to hell. It's, you know, it doesn't sound funny, but when you sit and you read the book, it's it's hysterical. Uh, well, that part of the book, anyway. Uh, let's see what else. Very first story is called Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. That was actually, uh, originally it was a comic book script. Um, back in 2008 or nine, Mario and I, well, Mario Martinez and I, we were talking about relaunching Chronicles of the Unknown. And we were going to have 11 page, two, two 11 page stories, uh, for Chronicles of the Unknown. And that never happened. And I felt, well, it was such a good story. So I just translated it into short story form. And that's your very first story. Um, and that's never been read anywhere. Uh, let's see, what else? I'm trying to think. Oh, there's The Gift. And that is, you know, that was, that's a really long story for me. Um, I, I'm not a big, long story writer. You know, I, I believe short stories should be quick and to the point. But this one, there was so much I had to get out. Um, and then it's kind of, it's a follow-up. It's called Lola's Gift. Um, that one is probably the darkest of all the stories in there. Uh, then there's, let's see. Oh, well, and then the book closes with It's a Dark Ride. And that's kind of, and, and that's fun because the the story itself was a dream that I, I had um, when I was a little boy. It was a reoccurring dream, and, and I finally went in, and I never finished the dream in, in real life, but I would sit down, and I finished the dream in story form, and that's, it's a dark ride, and that's kind of where the the story, or not the story, but the book title itself comes from, it's, it's, it's a dark ride, and and uh, it's an ode to Terry DeShearer, um, his very first book, Dreams of Darkness, Dreams of Night, because he makes a mention of you know, life's a dark ride, and that's kind of where the idea for the story itself came from. Okay, so remember, you can go to MythMart, buy it, or Amazon, pick it up. But please pick it up, guys. It's only ten bucks. You know, help me out here. You know, another thing I wanted to get into was, um, you know, I received a few emails and direct messages on Twitter, and I want to thank everybody for contacting me. Uh, just to let you know, I am feeling probably 85% better. Um, uh, the beginning of May, I was having severe back pain. I went to the doctors and I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, which is a combination of a whole bunch of things. It's um, I smoke and I'm fat and I have a desk job. And that's not good on my lower back. Plus, all the damage I did to it. Um, I used to be a nurse's assistant. Uh, I did that for about eight to nine years. And, um, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm 6'2", and right now I think I'm like 260 or something like that. Um, and I, I always took the heavy loads, you know, and, and that took a lot of stress on my back. And, you know, now that I'm getting older, it's just all catching up to me. So I did an episode of what we think a couple weeks back. Actually, it's about three weeks back now. And um, I was in excruciating pain because it, one of the discs had slipped. And I was, I think I pinched a nerve and I was just in pain. And I was trying to get through the, the show. And we did finish the show. Um, but I had mentioned, you know, I was in pain during the time, and Sadie had mentioned it. And then we missed a week, and then came back, and then I was sick. And you can kind of still hear it in my voice. Um, I got some type of laryngitis. You know, it was a chest infection, sinus infection, um, that I picked up from my little girl because she was sick. And, you know, for the last few weeks, I had not been 
between my back and, and between the, the sinus infection, I had not been feeling that well. And for the most part now, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, it's, you know, fairly early in the morning and, you know, the caffeine's starting to kick in and it's just, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. Um, and I just, I'm just kind of feeling it right now. I feel good. So I just want to tell everybody, thank you for, you know, the, the, the well wishes. I am feeling better. Um, you know, hopefully by the end of this week or next week, I'll be back to a hundred percent. You know, it's just a slow progress. Um, you know, things happen, but I do. I sincerely thank you. And now a word from our sponsors. Before 1971, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18, but with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating, strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Robertsfield Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. Now available in paperback and hardback. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. Are you looking for a new book, comic, or apparel from your favorite MythWorks or independent creators? Then you're in the right place. Introducing the all-new redesigned MythMart store. Now bigger, badder, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10 to 50% off on selected items. Get the all-new Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt, or non-members can pick up one of our e-books for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, badder, better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart. Or find us on Facebook for extra savings. Do you own a business or have an item you want to sling? Do you want a chance to reach potential customers? Do you want to make some extra cash? Then here's your chance. For $50, you can have a one to two minute commercial featured on each of our shows for an entire month. With six shows a week, that's only $2.09 per podcast. Plus, for an extra 10 bucks, your item will be placed into MythMart. So sit back and relax as they handle all stages of transactions. Contact our ad department at info at jaysamon.com. Okay, uh, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? Um, well, since we're talking about emails and, you know, direct messages, I received uh, some messages, and a lot of people are like, what's going on with the Yeltnum film? You talked about it, you talked about it, you talked about it, and then as soon as you finished writing the story, you stopped. Well, there's a couple reasons why, and I'll go ahead and I'll explain a few of them. Um... The story itself is complete. It's a hundred percent complete. And we actually, we have two versions, two finished versions of the story. One is 110 pages long. The other one is 89 pages long. Now, what was happening was originally I was going out and I was trying to, to find, um, 
animation studios that would fit what I wanted to create for a young gnome. And I came across this one animation studio, and I'm not going to name drop, but they're, they're a big place. Um, you know, they do network cartoons and stuff. And I shot him an email. He, he wrote back. The guy was really cool about that. He, you know, every time I wrote back an email, he would write back me. And we had some correspondence for a while. And then I shot him the concept of, hey, would your company be interested in producing this? this cartoon well they said yes and I shot him the cartoon script and he's like wow that's really long you know and I said well okay well what do we need to cut it down to and he goes well you know a cartoon script is usually you know 70 to 80 pages long I'm like okay well I'll cut it down to as much as I can so we can kind of meet in the middle and I gave it to Terry D. Shearer, and I said, look, okay, this is the game plan, this is what we have to do, you know, let's just cut this down to as much as we can, and we took a shit ton out, I mean, we did, we took a lot out, and we cut it down to 89 pages, well, I sent it back to the the, the producer, and we haven't heard back from him, and that's been, what, March, so three months, we just lost contact with them. So at this point, I'm looking around. I'm looking at other possible uh, investors, um, you know, other creative avenues to present the cartoon. And I, I'm still working on it. It's not something that's just died off. It's still something that's being actively worked on. Um, also, I received an email asking about, what's this new cartoon that you're talking about? Um there is, let's see, do I want to drop it? Yeah, I'll drop it. Why not? Um, so what's going on is we're coming out with a new comic book this year, too. I think it's going to be towards the end, end of summer, early fall. Um, and what it is, is it's a remake. Um, Alan Russo and I, um, let's see, you guys... Yeah, I think we had Russo on, on our show last year. Anyway, Russo's a good friend of mine. I've known him for about 14, 15 years. And we've done some creative work together over the years. And one of the things that we did back in 2000 was create a comic book called Smash. And it was just a parody on comic books themselves. And we decided to do a relaunch in 2008 or nine. And that's when things kind of hit the fan, you know, with uh, financials and shit. Well, anyway, things are looking better now here in 2014, and we're actually getting ready to present that. Um, you can actually go to MythMart on that one, too, and go under the comic classics, and you can buy the original uh, comic book version. But what I did is I took the story, had it re-edited, did a little bit of remodification to the story, completely redrawed it. Mario Martinez did the inking, and uh, Richard Wilson did the coloring. And that's going to be coming out. But what I wanted to do also is I wanted to translate it into a film, you know, because it was just funny. There was a lot of stuff that I felt was left out because of it being in a book form. So I sat down and I converted the story into a film format. And when I did that, I think the script itself was like 20 pages. And I was like, oh, that's too short. So I went back in and I've, I've rewritten the story, took some stuff out, put new stuff in, and I've come up with the Smash cartoon. Now, after I finish everything that's going on in my life right now, I'm actually going to animate the cartoon myself, and I realize that it's going to take me between two and three years to do. But that's what I'm going to do, is I'm actually going to animate the story, and hopefully by the time I finish it, I'm going to put it out like on iTunes or VOD or something. That's the game plan. Um, but, you know, that's still a long time away. But that's what I'm working on uh, as far as that, you know, with the script form. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, the... Um, Incubus story. I've gotten emails about that too. I'm still working on it. Uh, every time I sit down and I start working on it, I reread it. I'm like, Ugh, let me rewrite it, and it's just a constant, constant uphill battle with that story. 
um, just because I don't want it to be flat, you know. Um, but at the same time, I don't want it to be really expensive to make because that's something that I'm, I'm wanting to do is I want to get out there with an actual camera and make this movie. Um, it was a, based on a conversation. It was episode 51, if I remember right. Um, the re- case of the raping ghost. And we had sat down and we talked about it. We found it online. And, and after the kids left, I sat down and I started working on the story based on this, this uh, conversation that we had. And, uh, you know, the original draft was okay. And I've, I've worked on it back and forth for a while now. And I'm still working on it. Um, you know, give me some time because that's, that's a big story to, to take care of. You know, it's a big undertaking. But I, it's still, I'm actively working on that too. There, there's, what you kids don't see is I'm actually, I'm actively working on quite a few different things. Um, you know, but as it gets close or I, I just kind of drop some information on it and, you know, I, I apologize if, you know, I just kind of drop it out there and then I, I walk away from it and don't talk about it. Doesn't mean I'm not working on it. Just means that it's not forefront to what I'm doing that week. Because everything that I lay out, one of the biggest things that I've learned in my life, kids, one of my biggest drawbacks in my 20s was I would start something and then I wouldn't complete it. And um, probably in my late 20s is when I realized that and that has been my focus in life is if I'm going to start it, I'm going to finish it and see it all the way to completion. And, uh, you know, so... I've got a shit ton of stuff that I'm working on. Um, I'm even working on a... Oh, no, I'm not going to say it. But I'm working on a a comic book script that once I finish it, I'm going to shoot a pitch to um, one of the big two editors and say if they're interested in running it as a comic book one-shot for this character. Um... I don't know. It, it, they may go through, may not go through. We'll see what happens. So, let's see. I've got the book that just came out, like I said. I'm working on the Idiotnum, getting that, trying to get that sold. Now, let me jump back to that real fast. If I cannot find um, a producer for a Yotnum, then I think we're going to try to raise the money ourselves, which I know is a big shot in the dark. But we'll try, and we may try to make the comic book, or not the comic book, but we'll try to make the uh, cartoon ourselves, just to throw that out there. So we're actively working on a Yacht Gnome. Uh, we are actively working on the production of the Smash comic book, and we are actively working on the production of the Smash cartoon. We are working on, well, I'm working on the script for the Incubus uh, movie, and I would love that. I would really love to see that come to fruition. And let's see, what else am I working on? I believe that may be it for right now. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm pretty sure that is that is everything. Uh, let's see. I would like for everybody, I'm going to give a shout out while I'm thinking about this. Um, go to youtube.com, type in the movie Madhouse. Um, Jason from the movie Madhouse cast, he's actually working on his first short film and he put up a teaser. So go, go to youtube.com, type in the movie Madhouse and watch the, the teaser, you know, give him some love, send him some likes and, um, you know, leave a comment because I know as a creator, that's, that's, that's almost as good as getting cash in hand is hearing someone say, Oh, I like your stuff. You know, that's just really, um, it is, it's, it's priceless for a writer or for a creator to, to have some type of input at all. Um, so go to YouTube, Movie Madhouse, check it out, um, and send some love. I, I'm really, I can't wait to see the, the finished product of this. Uh, let's see, what else 
is in the works. Um, I think that's everything as far as creative end. Uh, yeah, that is. So I guess at this point what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about one last thing before we go for the night. Um, you know, in the beginning I was talking about being a comic book fan. Well, that comic book that I was a fan of, and I still am a fan of it, is The Uncanny X-Men. Um, I love The X-Men. In fact, I can look to my right and on my wall is the 1963 X-Men number one. That is my my pride as far as, um, you know, materialistic things. I, that's my, my gym, as it were, my crown jewel. And, you know, growing up in the 90s, they, they had always talked about, oh, we're going to do an X-Men movie. We'll do it with this person, this person, this person. And I used to read a, a, a magazine called Wizard, and I was like, only, you know, only, only in your imagination could you imagine something so grandeur of seeing the, the, the mutants come to the screen and, and, you know, you get to see Magneto fight, you know, Professor Xavier and Cyclops and the rest of the X-Men. Well, that came true in 2000 with the X-Men movie, Brian Singer's X-Men movie. And at the time I was living in Arkansas. And my friend Alan Russo and I, we went and seen the movie. And we were sitting and we, we watched it. And, and quickly our, our dreams... Well, I don't know about him because he's not a big X-Men fan as I am. But my dreams just kind of floundered because it was just wrong. Everything was wrong. The story was wrong. The characterization was wrong. Everything was just wrong. And I was, I came out, I was kind of excited because it was still, you know, after all these years, it was finally there was an X-Men movie, even though it sucked. Um, and then, you know, a couple years later, X-Men 2 came out, or X2, I don't know why they didn't just call it X-Men 2. Um, and that was a little bit better. You know, not horribly better, but it was better as far as content story-wise. And then Brian Singer left. He he went to go butt rate the the Superman movie, and God, that sucked. That movie fucking sucked. And instead of him doing the X Men movie, they brought on someone else. I can't remember who was the writer at the time. Not off the top of my head. But x-men 3 there was a lot more mutant characters you know i really liked how kelsey Grammer was the beast i really liked that um and of course they had warren worthington and the angel and and it was all really good visually it was good but the the story just sucked balls so bad and it was just like even i i mentioned this somewhere along the line I think I wrote a post about this on Facebook. My wife, you know, who's been with me since, you know, 1995, she's she's not read an X-Men comic, but she's heard enough of me yammering about it. She kind of knows about the story. And we were sitting there watching X3, and she's looking at me, and she goes, that's not right, is it? I'm like, no, good God, no, this is horrible. Well, anyway, we left X3, and at that point, I was like, I am never watching an X-Men movie on the screen. I'll wait for it to go to DVD. And I've done just that. Um, I've seen X-Men First Class on DVD. I didn't even bother to go watch it on the big screen. And and that was a... I give it a 50-50 grade. It was, it was okay. The uh, story was completely wrong, as usual. And then um, both of the Wolverine interpretations, you know, the Wolverine origins... I, I felt sucked really bad. But just last week I had an opportunity to sit and watch a copy of Brian Singer's new attempt at making an X-Men film called X-Men Days of the Future Past. And it's kind of interesting when you go into a movie with no expectations. You're like, oh, I know this is going to suck because of his other two attempts that just blew balls. You know, it was just horrible. So when you settle down and you, you get ready to get into it and, and the movie starts, you're like, okay. 
And of course, you know, it starts in the future and, and me being a big X-Men fan, I've already watched Days of the Future Past. Uh, not watched, I've already read it. You know, I read it a long time ago. Um, you know, the actual comic book. And immediately I'm like, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But then as I'm getting actually into the story, I, I forget about what's wrong and what's right. The story is so compelling, I get sucked into the story. And I'm watching, and it's just, number one, I, I really wish they would have made the comic book like this. I, I know I can't believe I'm saying this, but it was just really good. And the concept was, of course, is that, like, in the comic book, the comic book was that you had... Uh, mystique in her her form of brotherhood of evil mutants she goes and she assassinates senator kelly in 1981 well in 2013 um you know is days of the future past and the robot sentinels have taken over so uh rachel summers which is a um daughter of Cyclops sends Kitty Pride's conscious through time back to 1981 to uh, stop this assassination. Okay, that's the premises of the comic book. The movie, similar, similar, um, very similar, probably the, the most similar storyline of any of them. But what happens is, is that... Um, Instead of Kitty Pride, which I, I understand because, and I know people are going to get pissed off at me, but Kitty Pride, the, the actress, I don't think is a strong enough character. Uh, what's her name? Ellen Page. Um, she's a strong enough actor to carry the whole movie on her shoulders. So of course they put Hugh Jackman in her spot. They send Hugh Jackman back into, uh, time. And of course, you know, I think it's like, 50, well, it's like, I think it's like 10 years from now, it's Days of the Future Past, in the movie. So they send them back to 1970-something. And instead of stopping the assassination of Senator Kelly, they have to stop the assassination of Trask, who is the creator of the Sentinels. Now, other than that, the general premise of the, the story is still the same. You know, Mystique is still the, the assassination, or the assass, fuck, I can't talk. The assassin. So that stays the same. Um, you know, there was no real, um, let me see. There was really no background story, you know, in those, because it was two issues in the comic book. So they, they added a lot of background issue, uh, you know, for the movie. Like, there's this one, spoilers, there's this one thing, uh, that <clears throat> after X-Men First Class and, and Magneto accidentally wounds Xavier, Xavier finds this drug that can make him walk, but it suppresses his, you know, mutant ability, which I thought was a really good um, premise. And it was like almost a drug. It was an addictive thing. And I really liked that. I, I'm not sure so much about why Henry McCoy was the only person living with him at the time, but whatever. Another thing that I liked was the idea that they had Magneto, and I thought it was funny as hell. They had Magneto in, in caged in this like glass um, prison for like ten years, and he was arrested for the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Well, you find out in you know in the story that he wasn't trying to assassinate John F. Kennedy. He was trying to save. Kennedy from the assassination because Kennedy was a mutant and I, I thought that was a good little twist you know not only was it a good twist to you know because in 1963 the X-Men came out so it was during that time um, 
So it was kind of an ode to the original time frame of the X-Men. But I thought it was just a really good premise of an idea, a good premise of the story. And, Ma- uh, not Mag- well, Magneto, you know, Magneto, he's young and he's shifty. Yeah, you know, that's good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, one of the things that I have to say, kids, is what I, I really enjoyed the most was that Wolverine was not overplayed. Um, the story was mainly between the young Xavier, the young Magneto, and the young Mystique. That is what the premises of the story was mostly about. Um, it felt very much like Wolverine was kind of a sub-character to this. And it was just really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, great action, great story, great ending. Fuck, that was a great ending. Um, I'm going to give you another spoilers. And if you don't want the spoilers, then just speed ahead, because here comes a big spoiler. At the end of the movie, um, Wolverine wakes up from his time travel, and he's back at the mansion. And everything is back to normal. And he walks out of his room from the mansion, he sees the students, you know, of the school, and he sees... uh Storm, and he sees somebody else. I can't remember off the top of my head. Then he sees Jean, Jean Grey. And she's standing by Professor Xavier's uh, office door. And then it cuts to Cyclops. And as my two favorite X-Men in the entire cast of X-Men is Jean Grey and Cyclops. And I was just really excited to see that they brought those those two characters back, and I'm hoping that they're going to have a bigger piece after the this movie. The, well, there's going to they already started working on a second film. It's called X Men Apocalypse, and um, I'm hoping that Gene and Scott have a big piece in this. And of course, you know they they had some play with uh, between Xavier, who's now elderly, to Wolverine, and they have you know some back and forth conversation about what had happened. Great movie, great great movie. It it felt like after fourteen years of somebody taking your favorite, I don't know, whatever your your favorite toy, and they have it for fourteen years, and they they play with it the way they want, and you know they're playing with it wrong. But you just kind of let them play with it. And then finally, after 14 years, they're like, okay, well, here, let me just do this to it, clean it up, and put it right back where I found it. That is what it felt like with Days of the Future Past at the end of it. It felt like he cleaned up everything. Everything that was wrong has just been eliminated. So that's kind of the interesting part because now... The other three X-Men movies, uh, you know, X-1, 2, and 3, they've been eliminated. They no longer exist, from what I understand. And the premises starts with X-Men First Class. Now it goes into Days of the Future Past. And that's the the story timeline now. It, it was really good, and I really enjoyed it. And... Um, you know, I, I might sit down and watch it again. It's it's really that good. Unfortunately, the copy that I had, it was a little on the dark side, you know, because in the beginning, they're in the future, so it's dark. And it was kind of really hard to see, uh, you know, all the clarity of the movie. I mean, once it got into 1970s, it was light and, you know, bright day in New York. So it was, you know, you could see that fine. But during the process of your interval cuts into the future, they're dark. So it was just kind of hard to see. So maybe, you know, I might go back and, and watch it one more time just to, to see if there's anything I missed. Um, because, you know, I, I do know that there's lots of subliminal shit that Brian Singer likes to do. And, you know, if he can keep his dick out of little boys, God bless him. You know, let him, let him do one more movie. And, uh, you know, if... If Days of the Future Past is anything that 
is going to be the following movie. Is going to be like anything the following movie. I said let him do it. You know. Um, also, stay after the credits. Here comes the spoilers for this too. Um, there is a big scene that leads right into the next movie with Apocalypse. Um, a lot of people online say, "Oh, no, that's not my Apocalypse. I don't like it." But <clears throat> um, do your research. This is before Apocalypse gets into the big suit. You know, Apocalypse is young. And essentially what he's doing is he's, he's building the, the, the Gaza pyramids and, um, with his mutant powers. It's really cool how he does that. So stay after the credits, check that out. It's, it's visually, it's really cool to watch. All right, kids. Well, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Um, Rebecca and Aaron will be back next week. And like I said, we'll talk about, you know, what they've been up to and, and, you know, how it's been with him being with his little brother and the adventures that they've been on. And I'm sure some more shit with me as well. Um, you know, it's never dull in my life, I guess. But uh, we will definitely, all the three of us will get back together next week and we'll, we'll talk about some more stuff. And, and uh, maybe we'll dive into some weird news because we haven't talked about any weird news in a while. Okay, well... I guess that's it. So for this week, I am David K. Montoya. And if you're someone who's just not into my writing or the X-Men, then you're seeing red. See you next week. Take care. Welcome to Seeing Red. Say we didn't warn you.